Hi, welcome back to the Kinexus Continuous Improvement Podcast. I'm Mark Raven, a senior advisor with Kinexus, and we're joined today by Greg Jacobson, CEO and co-founder of Kinexus. So we're doing our, our, our occasional chat and conversation here about continuous improvement. And um, thankfully, it didn't sound like there was too much need for continuous improvement. Uh, we, we just all celebrated Thanksgiving last week. You had a good experience frying your turkey, Greg? I did. And we were we were catching up on that. And um, we started to talk about checklists and standard operating procedures and Safety. things of that nature. And, and Mark was like, wait a minute, why, why don't we why don't we start the recording um, now? It's it's always fun. So we have been we've been frying a turkey now in our family for maybe 15 years. And there's just been this um, effort of uh, doing CI um, to the process. We I don't think I've ever explicitly stated that we're doing that, but just kind of evolved. And, and as I've gotten older um, and as the rest of the family has gotten older, I feel like I'm going to be the, the main person organizing that process uh, sooner rather than later. So I've, I started to take notes this, <laughs> um, this time and uh, started to document my observations and start really a standard operating procedure. And then you said, oh, I'm sure you started a checklist. And that reminded me, no, I actually hadn't started a checklist, but I probably need to. Um, that's a pretty interesting question, Mark. Do you think that, do you do you do standard operating procedure first? Do you do checklist mm-hmm. first? Do those happen simultaneously? Does it matter? Uh, I mean, like to me, a checklist is a form of standardized work. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times standardized work documents classically would include not just like what are the steps, but how long do the steps take? And there's some types of work where that is is really it, it, that matters, like especially for more like repetitive operations. I would say for something you're doing maybe literally once a year, like a checklist with certain reminders might be helpful enough. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, you know, I did bring up the safety question and, and since you're an ER doc, I mean, people's attempt to fry turkeys, that does lead to quite a few ER visits every year, different risk of burns or, you know, especially yeah, from the boiling oil, right? I certainly don't have any statistics, but I can't imagine it doesn't generate hundreds, uh, maybe even thousands of ER visits. Um, we, we have an outdoor you know, fryer, um, and we've, we've dialed it in. There's never been any, any misses or near misses, um, that have occurred. Um, well, that's good. proper gloves. We've got this whole ladder contraption with a pulley system to drop the turkey. <laughs> so yeah. we're not getting very close. I've, one of the tricks obviously is going to be to have a stable base, Mm-hmm. And then uh, the other trick is to make sure no one's, you know, walking around it and then mm-hmm. dropping the turkey really, really slowly is super important. And, it and, and is, a, a thawed turkey. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, just what I was going to add. I think the one thing I saw a TV segment about turkey frying safety is that, yeah, any, any ice, that water plus oil is a bad combination. to create splashes, right? Yeah, no, it definitely, uh, definitely, it, it creates an explosion. I mean, yeah, it's pretty violent. I think, you know, it could lead to someone's death if they um, were in the right spot. It's, um, there, it's, it's overnight in brine. So that's the, the benefit of, of the 
the turkey frying that's been marinated for a really, mm-hmm. really long time. So yeah. I don't really know what the result of it would be if you didn't do that marinating process. We've always done that. Uh, I, I did a little quick Google research here, according to uh, this one news source, deep fryer fires. This is probably not just Turkey, but um, responsible for uh, five deaths, 60 injuries and the destruction of 900 homes. And then there was something specifically about Turkey frying, you know, $15 million in property damage annually. Wow. Yeah. No, and well, this other guy, I think that those numbers were from deep frying Turkey. So I'm not trying to uh, dissuade you from doing that. I'm glad you're being mindful of, uh, of safety and process. Yeah. Well, it's been, it's been a fun process and I have found a remote um, temperature sensor that apparently is rated to go in a deep fryer. And mm. so that's going to be the addition for next year. Uh, so no risk of undercooked <laughs> Turkey. Correct. Well, we, didn't have a risk of that because we we were always we are, we're always measuring it, but to for it to go wireless, we'll have to get we won't need to be near the oil or lift the turkey or so uh, we usually have a, you know a thermometer in the oil so we know how hot the oil is. But you're kind of moving thing anytime you can not touch the oil and the, you know, the better. So well, we did. Um a smoked turkey, and by say did, I mean the verb really is purchased. You know, cook, cooking a turkey or you're trying to smoke one, you know, there, there, there's a lot of time and effort. And there's a, a place north of Dallas, uh, Greenberg smoked turkeys that uh, my mother in law ordered one from, and it was very good. Very nice. Do you use any checklists or any CI principles in your Thanksgiving festivities? No, I mean, I for a meal like that, I, in, in the past, there's times where I've used a Gantt chart, not the mm-hmm. Kinexus Gantt chart feature, right, but right. to look at the timing of different uh, dishes and prep time and cooking time, and you know, you don't want to be ready to serve everything else and, and find that your sweet potatoes are still cooking away. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant, and yeah, it's a perfect use for a Gantt chart. Yeah, so an industrial engineer's holiday. Um, <laughs> Gantt charts and checklists and and all. So, um, well, I mean, so, at the end of the day, all these things reduce stress, right? I mean, I yeah. think that's one of the one of the things I love about continuous improvement is that um, you know stress is something that I'm always trying to reduce. I have a lot of things going on, and so developing standard work and developing checklists and developing, you know, ha- having a really complex meal at least you've figured out what would be the ideal sequence of things. And does it make sense? I mean, you know, you can't distort time, but you can certainly figure out when things should start boiling and when things should be taken out of the oven. So, yeah. And then like a lot of businesses, we, we went through, I could call it a make buy decision of, okay, we're buying the Turkey prepared. We bought a couple of pies and um, cooked, you know, a lot of sides, you know, from, scratch ingredients right. so um reducing stress something to be thankful we were thankful for that um so before thanksgiving greg and i you know we were part of uh, a team of kinexians who were up in cleveland yeah uh, early november the ame conference the association for manufacturing excellence so we were going to share some thoughts and reflections uh from from the event and and, and greg you spent a lot of time talking to customers and potential customers at, at the booth. 
Panexus was an exhibitor? Like what, what are some of the, the high level themes that, that come to mind of some of the conversations you were having with, with people? Well, I, I think one, it was a, it was a great conference. It was, it was nicely run. Um, we got into a, a really a large number of great ideas. I always find it really interesting that, um, kind of almost like this tension between um, people that are at a conference and then people that are a booth at a conference. And uh, like, do I want to be talking to these people? Do, are they, they trying to sell something to me that I don't want or don't need? And I, I think that's probably would have been my mindset 20 years ago, uh, you know, being at a conference. Um, I think what's interesting is the, being on the booth side of things, I now take conferences completely differently. And when I go to conferences, I go to literally every booth. Um, I get more value from going to the booths. We go to this, uh, this SAS conference and I don't go to any of the presentations. <laughs> I literally go from booth to booth to booth to figure out, you know, what is the product? Why would a SaaS company want it? Um, what can I learn from it? How do we solve that problem? Is that pain we either have? know we have you know pain we we have didn't realize we had and so i think it's it's always this uh super interesting dynamic that once that kind of the ice is broken or the when, when do you start an actual conversation with um an attendee and you start getting into you know how do you organize the work what kind of technology do you use typically pretty quickly if if it's if it's not a good fit we've learned a little bit about them they've learned a little bit about us and we go our separate ways um mm -hmm. i'll tell you we probably talked to 30 or 40 organizations had really deep conversations about um the challenges they have with um, managing all their improvement work really on the organization side and the reporting side um and uh, it's been a an interesting evolution over the last dozen years right yeah. um, of, of being in this and whether it's um, brand, whether it's we're a more robust company, whether the product is more robust, whether there's a, been a, a shift in, in mindset on, you know, how do you report and manage and categorize and, you know, share this type of work. But it's, it's, it's really, it's very validating and refreshing and, um, to, to understand that we, we solve a problem that many organizations have. Um, and many organizations happen don't realize they have until, yeah. or they didn't even realize the solution existed. Um, um, so it, it was a, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. The, um, I mean, compared to a decade ago, I mean, I think back then there was more of this almost kind of reflexive mm. resistance to technology. Like my sensei taught me technology is bad and Toyota doesn't use technology, which isn't true. And, oh, we should always do it paper and pencil. Oh, okay, oh, fine. And then, okay, we're not a fit for you. But nowadays, um, you know, people more often than not have, or they're, they're using some sort of technology. And I know you and Jeff and Matt Banna, Jeff Roussel was also there. You, you're asking people, so what, what, what technology are you using? Like, what, what's the most common answer that you are getting to that question if they're not a Kinexus customer? Excel. Excel is definitely the, the number one technology that I think CI practitioners use um, just in general. Yeah. And, and then I think you can you can pepper in some SharePoint. You can pepper in some 
some custom built solutions. Um, those are probably your your yeah. top three or teams. I think a lot of the SharePoint teams. stuff maybe has evolved or, or just a little right. bit different. But yeah, I mean, there's the problem that people are trying to solve. Let's say they're using Excel and SharePoint. Then there's the problems with those solutions, which is why people often end up coming to Kinexus, right? Yeah, and I think what's what's interesting. Spreadsheets are incredibly powerful. I use spreadsheets multiple times a day um, to solve, obviously, um, all the all the things that people use spreadsheets to solve. Uh, where spreadsheets break down is if you're trying to get a whole bunch of people to use it, um, trying to figure out what your version is it, and then the fragility of them. I mean, they're they're really fragile pieces of technology, so they work really well in highly educated spreadsheet <laughs> using people that are um, um, very cognizant of how to use the spreadsheet. As soon as you start getting into expanding the number of people that need access to that um, and you start getting into situations where um, something like Kinexus is going to definitely help you out more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then uh, a lot of uh, Kinexus customers were there. Yeah, some we were very global. yeah, we're very lucky and um, honored to have some great partners there. So um, we were not only able to see at AME a couple of our customers, but also did some on sites. But you know, Sherwin Williams is a customer of ours, Cleveland Clinic's a customer, and, and Med Mutual is now um, a customer of ours too that were we're all present. Um, oh, Winland Foods, we saw um, someone from there. I might be missing one or two, but it was just yes. a lot of fun to to see people in person. Um, well, did, did, did you were in, you were also in lots of conversations, Mark, was there yeah. any things that stood out to you? Any conversations or themes? Yeah. I mean, I love, um, you know, it's a combination of um, seeing familiar faces and meeting new people or the, the modern overlap is meeting somebody in person for the first time who you feel like you've gotten to know really well through zoom conversations, um, the last couple of years. So, um, Elizabeth Swan comes to mind for people who know her and her book. She did a webinar, uh, for us, uh, her book, is, uh, picture yourself a leader. It's one of those things like, Oh, right. Yeah. I forgot we had never met in person. Yeah, many, many, many conversations and many, um, you know, group Zoom calls, networking, you know, comparing notes during pandemic times. Um, so she comes to mind as, as somebody who was in that category. Um, yeah, a lot of great conversations. Um, you know, the the, the keynote talks. And, and so one of those people is great to see again, uh, Rich Sheridan from uh, company software company Menlo Innovations. He's, his yeah. keynote talk. Uh, was great. And, you know, I had some uh, conversations with him, somebody who I had heard of and had never heard speak. And I just got to meet briefly because I went up afterwards and thanked him for his talk. And I gave him a copy of the mistakes that make us um, was uh, Bob Chapman, who is the CEO of uh, a company, Barry Waymiller, which is like a conglomerate of different, um, I think like, like industrial products, manufacturing uh, businesses. And so given like that kind of like, you think kind of like old industrial industry, 
very progressive leadership ideas, like in, inspirational yeah. from, from Bob Chapman. And um, so, you know, anyone who attended AME and Greg was caught up in conversation. So I keep pestering Greg when the recording's available, you got to watch Bob Chapman's talk because he, you know, he talks about what he calls truly human leadership and, mm. you know, it's, you know, you, you've got to care for your employees and, and like, and it doesn't come across as like paternalistic or, anything but like just really caring and um you know there's there's a tedx talk um that i can point people to in the show notes if they don't have access to the the ame talk but bob chapman was talking about the importance of learning from mistakes that's where i felt like okay i've gotten in i'm gonna come um shove a copy of a book at him but um you know really just talking about you know just a, a very principled approach to leading a business and realizing financial results will then follow as opposed to just directly and solely um, trying to measure financial results. Like it was just a really inspirational vision of uh, a leadership model and a company culture. You know, I really enjoyed hearing him talk. I don't feel like I'm summarizing it real well, but people can go watch his TEDx talk. You know, I think that that theme comes up over and over this idea of if you focus on identity, you'll get the results, right? I mean, that's a, in, in habit science talk, it's, uh-huh. um, I, am I, Oh, I'm trying to quit smoking or I'm an, I'm a non-smoker or mm-hmm. I'm trying to eat better or I'm a person that eats healthy. Um, and so it's almost like if you focus on, whether, I mean, here kind of, we have, we have values and traits. If you focus on those, then the, the right financial outcomes will, will just be a side effect of that versus the other way around is, uh, uh just not a successful of a way to, to live life. It's, it's mm-hmm. hard to make all those micro decisions. Um, if you're just focusing on a goal versus if you have, if you have an identity or principles in this case, as Bob uh, mentioned. Yeah, so that was definitely a highlight uh, for, for from the conference. Um, so yeah, hopefully we'll see people uh, next year uh, in Atlanta, and uh, it's it's overlapping uh, Halloween again nice. next year. But Halloween being the last day of the conference, which is I think a better day to ask people to wear costumes than day one, as it turned out this year. Because I Mark, was- Mark, what was the uh, what? Who did you dress up as? Tell tell the folks. Uh, basically lean George Michael, which is a dated reference from the eighties now at this point, but in the, the wake me up before you go, go video, he wore all white. He and Andrew Ridgely and the shirt said um, in huge letters, uh, choose life, which has different connotations than, than what that t-shirt might imply today. But I made a version of that t-shirt that says choose lean. And I had a wig and all white and, um, so anyway, I, I'd seen that video and there was the documentary about George Michael. So that's why I think that was on my, on my mind, but you were hard to recognize. Like that's how good of a, of a costume it was, which is, and, which is awful for networking then. Well, yeah. And there, there was somebody who, uh, a, a guy, Tiago from, uh, Brazil, I'll give a shout out to who, um, 
has read some of my books and listened to the podcast and he was excited to meet me and he wanted to take a picture. And I'm like, oh, I'm wearing this dang costume. <laughs> I did get a picture with him in uh, regular attire without a wig uh, the next day. So hopefully that's the one he would choose to share on social media. But yeah. I, you know, other people wore costumes. Um, there was a, a continuous improvement Barbie and Ken. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was some, yeah, there were, there were some good costumes, but. And you mentioned, you mentioned Menlo and I'm reading a book where they were uh, featured and I, I hate to say this. I don't remember the exact book, but I believe it's critical influence. And that made me think that one of the things we wanted to do over kind of the next several podcasts was to go back to Chris Burnham's questions yes. that he asked us back on those. So I didn't know if that was supposed to be a good time to transition. Yeah. That is a great segue because you started and I was going to carry the segue across that line. So yeah, we have a list of questions. Um, our, um, our dear friend, Chris Burnham, when uh, he, when he was with us and he hosted the lean leadership podcast, we encourage people to go check that out. Um, even though he passed away, um, the podcast is going to remain um, online, thankfully, and people can go check that out. But we have his list of, of standard questions, and we're doing one or two uh, each time we do one of these episodes. So book-related, do you have a favorite book, author, or mentor that you would recommend to our listeners? Now, Greg, it might be hard to pin you down on just one book. We, we, we could talk about a different book each time, I'm sure. Right. Well, I'll just... I'll, I'll, I'll start and then I'm interested to hear um, what you're currently reading. I'll start with just a couple books that I'm currently reading right now. Um, one is The Critical Influence, which is, I think, in its third edition and prior editions of it was Influencers. And I think they changed the name because influencer in the social media world has come to mean mm. something different. Right. And this book is really about um, how do you influence people? And one of the um, one of the lines that comes from the very beginning is um, something to the effect of um, intentional influence is leadership. And so I, I thought that's really wonderful. It, they talk uh, a little bit about the difference between influence versus manipulation. I think that's a really important concept to make sure we're not talking about manipulating people. We're talking about influencing people. Right. And it, it goes into really kind of this six box approach to, um, to thinking through areas that one would need to think about in order to influence a large group of people. And been really just uh, thrilled with it. It's the second time I'm listening to it. And uh, it does it does weave a lot of the kind of business and social concepts that have been written about over the last uh, number of years, but there's um, talk, talk of continuous improvement in there. There's talk about habit science. Um, there's uh, I'm sure other uh, number of number of stories and, um, and cognitive science and behavioral science and organizational um, psychology, psychological safety. And so I, I'm, I'm really enjoying that book. Yeah. Um, and the title again is it's um, critical influence um, or crucial. Hold on. Let me just get it. Uh, um, crucial influence 
leadership skills to create lasting behavior change. Um, looks like that. Joseph Grenny, Kenny Patterson, mm-hmm. and the others. Crucial influence. The other third edition. Yes. Third edition. Yep. The other book I'm going through right now is Never Lose an Employee Again by Joey Coleman, which we did as a book club about three years ago, his Never Lose a Customer Again. Mm. And uh, he has taken those some of the kind of principles in Never Lose a Customer Again and then applied them to um onboarding employees basically and and integrating employees into a company culture. And I'm really enjoying that. It's, it's fun. He does the audio for his books. Uh And so his personality kind of rings out there. Um, And then just to, just because it's not important, but it's, it's always nice to go to a number of five. I would love to answer. Um, I I always think um, Daniel Pink's book drive is a, really important book to understand what um what's driving people um, what motivates people and um of course uh, james clear atomic habits i have to throw in there or any of the habit books that we talk about in our habit talks and then finally i can't not mention mazaki and mai's um kaizen um, as my oh i have a copy because i think we talked about it an episode or two ago and it's still on my desk um, I don't know if you have thoughts about any of those or want to share some of yours. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, my book is great. It's a highlighted and post-it flagged um, copy here. It's a great foundation for, for lean and continuous improvement. Kind of one of the early classics in the whole, in the whole field. Um, I mean, I was going to share the, the one book I always go to, which I grabbed off my shelf before we go. Um, is this no. book, uh, Donald Wheeler, Understanding Variation, The Key to Managing Chaos. Um, and, and I think it probably surprises people when, uh, you know, they ask, what's your favorite book? And it, it doesn't have the word lean in the title. Um, like, to me, this is such a foundational book. I was really fortunate to, to read it really early in my career because um, my dad took a class with Don Wheeler um, and um, had a copy of, of this book with the kind of, you know, mystical, weird, spacey cover on it, Understanding Variation. Um, I, you know, that's what really taught me about control charts, process behavior charts, the application um, to management. And, and Don was kind enough. I, I don't know Don well, but um, I, I asked him and he agreed to write the, the foreword. Uh, for my 2018 book, Measures of Success, which credits Don a hundred times over for what he's written and what I've learned. So if there's this, I've given more copies of this book away over 25 years than any other book. That's amazing. I, I, I feel like, I don't know how you, how you pair Measures of Success with Wheeler's book. I don't know if you consider it an extension, a primer, a continuation, but there does seem to be a lot of connection there. There's, I think there's a lot of connection. Um, it's, I, you know, my book is maybe an extension of, of Wheeler's. Um, you could certainly do very well only reading Don's book, but, you know, I think my book has, um, you know, additional examples, you know, some, some more modern um, data sets to apply the same principles, you know, but um you know, that, that book's made such a, a difference, um, you know, for, for me in my career 
whether I had written measures of success or not. Is he still with us or? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Oh, he's still we teaching. Can... He's still pretty active. I took a workshop with him in 2018 or 2019. So, yeah. I wonder, wonder if he'd be interested in doing a webinar. Um, oh, I could try. You, yeah. No yeah. idea. I think he's still very busy, but I can, yeah. I can certainly try. Put that on the uh the ask list. I had asked him once about doing a podcast. And I think my mistake was, like I said, well, here's some of the potential questions I, I could ask you. And I think I went overboard and I freaked him out about a list that was too long. It would have been better to just say, Don, I'm going to ask you about your book. Would you be willing to come on? Right, right. Um, but yeah, Understanding Variation, uh, Don Wheeler, at least a key book. We've been talking about um, other books other times, and we still have other questions from the Chris Burnham Lean Leadership Podcast question list to get to in future episodes. It's great. I, I'm, I'm always amazed at how, how fast a half an hour goes when we get to chatting about lean and continuous improvement. It does. And I want to thank um, the listener, viewer. Um, you can add a comment if you're watching on YouTube. Tell us what's your favorite book, your author or mentor that you would recommend uh, to people. We'd love um, to hear from you on that. Or you could always share that with me, mark at kinexus.com, which would just be interesting uh, to see in here. We can add that um, as comments online somewhere when we share it on social media. We'll invite people to answer that question themselves. So, um, you know, Greg, as always, thanks again for doing this. It's probably the last one we're going to do um, here in 2023. So we'll, we'll ring in 2024, the new year and a, a new episode. How's that? So I'll, I'll say what my fifth grade librarian would always get me on my elementary school. I had her for many years. She would always at the end of December, always say, see you next year. And I always be like, what, what? Oh yes, next year. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see you kind of next year with that. Would that work this time, Mark? <laughs> It works as well as it ever works. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much, Mark. Thanks, Craig.